Welcome to the Cardboard Herald Reviews, where we give you audio versions of our game reviews, then go behind the scenes of our creative process. Pocket Mars, designed by Michael Joginsinski, art by Jaroslaw Waz, published by Gray Fox Games, 15 to 30 minutes, 1 to 4 players, review Earth Attacks by Jack Eddy. Mars is so hot right now. Well, at least metaphorically speaking. With no shortage of Mars-related games on the horizon, Gray Fox Games has elected to take the tiny yet mighty approach, competing with the likes of the Tiny Epic series in a small-scale game with a relatively big impact. Fortunately for us, it rarely loses scope, almost always maintaining a good balance of meaningful decisions with compact, bite-sized fun. Shipping up to Boston. Gameplay. This game is an act of shifting your seven dude-slash-dudettes from Earth to Mars. Doing so triggers the end of the game, though scoring accounts for a bit more than lol me first. The play area contains five Martian buildings, a deck of cards to draw from, each player's spaceship, and Earth, the home of derelict meeples anticipating their great journey. In one of the more clever card systems I've recently seen, the meat of the game is found in the project cards. At the end of any player's turn, all players must always have four cards, two in hand and two face down in front of them, making up their prep module. While the front of the cards show a strength, color, or suit, and two abilities, their backs also reveal their color, which corresponds to the five different buildings. It's actually kind of cool to see that even while shuffled together, the back of the card communicates a tiny bit of information from the draw pile, letting you know what card type is on deck. On a player's turn, they can take one action, usually playing a card for its discard effect or putting it into play from their prep module for its put-into-play effect. When put into play, the card is placed in a stack near the corresponding building's color, and if the strength of your card exceeds the last placed one in the stack, boom, you put a dude from your ship into that building. Whether your strength exceeds or not, you resolve both the effects of the building and the card. There are a few other actions too, including pitching cards to gain energy, a resource needed for some actions, or even putting a card into play from another player's prep module. You don't know its strength or ability, but this is a great way of both messing with your opponent's plans and resolving the effect of the building, though the player whose cards you jacked gets to resolve the card's put-into-play effect. And thus, play continues. Occasionally, effects will interact with the other cards you have in hand or increase or decrease your energy, the one tracked resource in the game. But for the most part, the abilities and effects of the game involve changing the astronaut's placement from Earth to the ship, from the ship to a building, from a building to another, or from the standard one-star side of a building to the more exclusive two-star side of a building, which matters for bragging rights and scoring. Finally, players get points at the end of the game for astronauts on buildings, more for being on the two-star side, consolation points for your poor sap still on your spaceship, then bonuses for having dudes in each of the four occupiable buildings and having four dudes in one of the buildings. Oh, and a tiny bit of extra points for ending the game with the most energy. Winds coming down from Olympus Mons, Flow and Feeling 
There's something really industrial about this game's rhythm, like the futuristic robot factory, everything is in sort of a limbo until it's moved from one holding chamber to another, colonists going from Earth to ship, ship to Mars, building to building, side to side. This mechanical swing extends to the prep modules too, always checking to see that you have a total of four cards, and then refilling your module, deck to hand, hand to module, module to play. And don't get me wrong, this rhythm is one of the things I like most about the game. It's not that you're programming your turns, but it makes the turns themselves very fast, intuitive, and feel like you're always gauging your long-term goals versus what you have on hand in terms of availability. I also really like the sort of every part of the buffalo vibe of the components. Each card is multi-use and every card is used apart from the player's specific spaceships and reference cards if playing with less than four players. Though this isn't a particularly interactive game, the player interaction that is there is direct, but never to such consequence that it feels mean. Sometimes you'll deviously shift an opponent out of their two-star location only to shift yours in, reaching the maximum occupancy. Other times you might foil their plans by utilizing a card from their prep module. Notably, this mechanical nature is also indicative of how little the theme is integrated into the game. While the visuals are actually pretty awesome, including the super rad box art, the game quickly boils down to colors and numbers emitting virtually no thematic resonance to the visuals, including the super rad box art. That said, the presentation is great, with good table presence, bold colors, and surprisingly great artwork and iconography. It's lonely out in space, solo mode. In a world of great solo modes, Pocket Mars is merely passable. I was really hoping that this could be a great travel solitaire type of game, but it lacks the type of elegance that I really need for this small scope. In fact, that's why solo runs at such a contradiction to the enjoyable flow of the standard game. In solo mode, you are playing against the Devious Automatics Company, who is launching their own duders into play. Functionally, their prep module acts as a loading dock for your upcoming cards, as any time that you need to draw cards, they must come from this prep module. What's left in their module determines where their units go and how they activate buildings, though the buildings have different abilities when activated by the automated player and must be referred to in the five dedicated pages in the rulebook for solo play. Furthermore, the rules of the solo mode have such terrifying language as you must optimize the placement of the DA colonists so as to maximize the DA's final score as best you can. If there's one thing I hate about automated players, it's when they aren't automated. It's not all bad, though. There are some great aspects of the solo game. The way time runs out by pitching cards each turn creates a snappy pressure, and the strategy involved in deciding how to interact with the DA's prep module adds a dimension to the basic gameplay, but overall, it never felt comfortable or second nature, reaching the sort of ease that is so appealing from the multiplayer game. Liftoff. Final thoughts. Pocket Mars is going to adorn my office shelf where it will be perfectly suited for lunchtime play. Fast, snappy, and easily portable to our local coffee joint, this scope of game is exactly what I'm looking for in a small box game. I like that it encourages player interaction but allows you to more or less focus on your strategy. Each turn isn't dramatically consequential, but chaining sequential turns together you can realize your Martian dreams. Aside from Solo, if there are some criticisms, it's that the rulebook, at a whopping 19 pages long, is 
too dense for what this game is and should have been condensed for easier learning and navigation. Furthermore, I feel like repeated play day in and day out could get stale as there aren't any branching strategic paths such as asymmetric abilities or engine building, so this might not be the ideal game to tide you over for a longer vacation, tempting as its small stature might be. But like I said, it is a game I plan to keep. Abstract and mechanical, vibrant and eye-catching, this game delivered exactly what I wanted it to. Pocket Mars is full of smart, intuitive choices and bite-sized Martian fun. Review copy of Pocket Mars has been provided by Gray Fox Games. How's it going, everyone? This is Jack from the Cardboard Herald. If you notice, I'm not in my typical digs here. If you're watching the video, if you're listening to this on the podcast, then you probably have noticed some audio differences. And it's because this is the TCBH headquarters at PAX Unplugged in Philadelphia. This is an awesome time to talk about Pocket Mars, a game that I brought on my trip to PAX Unplugged here. We actually haven't started the convention yet, and I'm recording this on the day that I made my long trek from Juneau, Alaska to uh, PA, and hopefully I won't be too loopy. Now, I brought this game along with a couple others. I had Tiny Epic Defenders, my favorite Tiny Epic game, and then Wish You Were Here, by the Enigma Emporium, uh, who sent me this cool little escape room in a box or escape room in an envelope game. They did a Kickstarter for this. I think they're going to be doing another one soon and they wanted to see if I was interested in checking that one out. And so they sent me a copy of this one as kind of like a, a preemptive thing. So I'll be checking that out. Um, but the reason why I brought Pocket Mars is be these other two games have a little bit more barrier to entry. Either they take up more space, they take up more time. I wanted something that was really easy to just bust out quick games, easy to teach, and didn't require a lot of forethought and analysis. Pocket Mars is this beautiful little abstract game that reminds me more of something like Uno or Rummy or something. I mean, it's not really like Rummy, but it's abstracted in that way that everything boils down to colors, numbers, and the expenditure of resources. And that's something that's really cool that I, I don't know that I conveyed in its entirety in the review itself in that one of the things I love most about this game is that it's not immersive. It's something that you can feel removed from as a game, which there aren't many games in the, the modern tabletop hobby that deliver it in the same way. There are some, and I think that they are really cool. Like there's a new game, Push, that uh, I enjoy a lot. But this one is deceptive in a way because of the artwork on its front it makes you think this is going to be a heavily thematic game. And there's theme in there, but no one's getting fooled by that. So the two questions that I wanted to address that I got out of this review, the first one is why did you spend so much time talking about the box art of the game because in one section, I called it out specifically twice, and I did have kind of a, a teardown of the artwork of the game, or maybe not a teardown, just commentary on it. That really boils down to the fact that this game is deceiving in a way, in that it has such beautiful production values that 
make it seem like it's going to be a heavily thematic game. I mean, this dude on the front of the box, he looks like Venom from the Spider-Man comics. It makes you think this is going to be some survival horror game or sci-fi horror that's taking place in space, and there's none of that in here. And normally that would be a really big problem if the theme of the game really betrayed what the theme is depicted as, especially on the box art. But there is no theme of the game, so in a sense it's more confusing than anything else. Like, I really applaud Gray Fox Games for having awesome production values. I mean, the visuals are really great in here. Uh, the the abstracted visuals themselves, but there is a, a dissidence between the actual like visual presentation on the front and what's going on on the interior. Again, it's not betraying it. It's not a different type of theme. It's just themeless for the most part in a good way. I like the abstraction in this game. It fits a niche that other games don't, which is clearly why I brought it along with other very immersive, very thematic games. The second question that I got was about solo games. Jack, why are you spending so much time on solo games in your review? It's because I dig solo games now. I didn't used to. It's been about a year or so since I've really become a solo games convert, and if you haven't watched it, I just put up another video, Cardboard Cutouts series, where we do recommendations on a topic, and in this case, it was three games that I love to play solo, and I, I've realized in recent times that playing games solo provides a different thing than other types of multiplayer gaming. There are situations where I would sometimes rather play a game solo as the activity that I want to pursue. I mean, games for the most part for me are a social medium, but as more and more games have really good solo modes, it is worth commenting on and exploring and seeing what it does to make that interesting and how does it evoke the overall concept of the game without necessarily just being a rehash of the multiplayer game, or in some cases doing a really good job of being a rehash of the multiplayer game. And Pocket Mars swings in this regard, but it also misses. I mean, it changes things up. There's a clever system in there. I just don't like it. It's not intuitive. It's not uh, as fun. You have to reference the rule book a lot and you're too often thinking from the perspective of the AI. But there's a significant enough population that play games or can now play games because of specifically designed solo modes that deserve to know whether a game is good or not for them. And because it's also something of interest to me, I want to integrate that into a review. Am I always going to do a solo mode review? I don't know, probably not. But if it is really good, or if it's something that just didn't click with me in an interesting way, or it's horrendously bad, if there's anything worth commenting on, then it belongs in the review. So that's it. Wanted to make this quick, tight, down, and dirty so I can get some sleep and get to having some fun at PAX Unplugged. So thank you all for watching or listening. If you have questions about the game, this video, anything we do, you can find us at CardboardHerald.com. There's some contact links or let us know in the comment section for the video or the podcast. You will figure it out. Thanks for watching. I've been Jack for the Cardboard Herald.
Thank you for listening to the Cardboard Herald. As always, everything we do is ad-free and audience-supported. If you'd like to help keep it that way, find the Patreon link at the top of our webpage, CardboardHerald.com. We have several levels of support with various rewards. If you enjoyed the show, we do a whole bunch of other stuff, including reviews, interviews, and recommendations across writing, podcasts, and video. You can find that on our YouTube channel or by visiting any of our social media or our website. So with that out of the way, thank you again for listening to the Cardboard Herald.